Welcome to the O'Reilly Security Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Nash. Today, I chat with Allison Miller, product manager at Google and my co-chair for the new O'Reilly Security Conference. We start by chatting about how she got into security and then dive into her fascination with risk and systems, both technical and human. We finish up talking about the new conference that we're chairing together and why we're excited to unite defenders across a wide variety of organizations and industries. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Ali. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Courtney. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to chatting. I am very excited about this. We have, we've been working on some evil plans together for a while now, and, <laughs> uh, and I'm, you know, we've already revealed them to the world. We'll get to that. I'm super excited about it. Um, but on our, on our way there, I wanted to, I'm asking everyone this because I think it's really informative, the variety of ways that people can get into this industry. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to hear from you how you, how you got into the, the wild world of security. Well, I, I, I guess I was sort of drawn in. I'd been exposed to technology from a young age, and I'd sort of work with computers, but I wasn't particularly interested in them the way that I hear a lot of other folks who start programming young talk about how much they loved that aspect of the technology. I was really kind of neutral on it. You know, it was neat, but I, and I played around with it a little bit, but it wasn't, it wasn't a passion. Um, when I was in college, Though what sort of became interesting to me is what you could do with technology, like the the development of communication networks and how those were going to be used to bring people together and what kinds of applications for business were going to be out there. And at, at the same time that I became kind of interested in just sort of how networks were starting to develop and how communication technologies were evolving, I also became interested in in sort of business in general and how money moves. And that's kind of a weird thing. I mean, money doesn't move, people move money. But just the the way that economies behave was something that became interesting to me. And so it seemed fairly obvious to me that these these things were, <laughs> all these types of networks were interconnected, haha. So uh, that that is really where I started looking at this, where, where business and economics and the technology was converging. And something in me just said, you know, this is fantastic. This is really exciting. How is this going to get mis- misused? What are the implications of that? And so I started thinking about um, how payments worked and electronic money worked and how businesses were going to adopt this technology and, and what that meant for them. And there were some interesting things happening in the news, like folks getting uh, chased by the FBI for their hacking exploits or mm-hmm. phone companies going after hackers who are trying to get into their networks and networks falling over and then there being claims of hackerage and such. And that's how I got drawn in. I actually got drawn in kind of from an early angle interested in what the implications were for businesses and for economics, the economic side of it. I think it's interesting, though. Well, first of all, there's about a million things I want to comment on in there. I mean, I don't think I've met many people who come into security from, say, economics. Um, I think that's yeah. very unusual. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's a much more, um, what, what is it called, a, a, an origin myth. I think the origin myth of hackers is it, a lot of them is the tinkerer, right? right? They liked the computer or the radio or the watch, and they took it apart and put it back together again and said, okay, now I know how it works. What else can I make this thing do? And for me, it was, it was, it was definitely just this different angle. And, you know, I'll be honest, I read a lot of Nancy Drew 
growing up. I liked <laughs> Silence of the Lambs. I was kind of like, oh, Clarice, you know, oh my goodness, she can hear the lamb screaming and it's going to draw her to sort of find these, the bad things and flush them out of these systems. So, you know, I did have a little bit of a cloak and dagger aspect to um the things that I was being drawn to, but but no, it wasn't the tinkerer side of me. It was really more the wow, look at how all of these things interconnect, and is that is that net neutral, hmm. or is that going to be a net positive, or are there risks? And I so the ri- the riskiness kind of pulled me in. Yeah. <laughs> sort of obviously, it's been a recurring theme through my career: risk and um, fraud, and sort of ban- bouncing back and forth. Be between the the risk side of things and the more pure infosec side of things, um, and today I'm kind of sitting squarely in the in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I th- it's funny the the bit you mentioned though about the tinkerer you know origin myth. I you know was exposed to computers early. Also, my parents were both academics, and you know we had a computer in the basement when I was mm-hmm. like seven, um, which was you know, like 1980. Um, But I also didn't have that same, you know, sort of reaction. And for me, I remember the point at which like, I remember my mom dragging me into her office and showing me the first like Netscape browser. Um, And I was realizing that you could talk to anyone anywhere in the world. You know, it was that sense of the network and the connection of people Mm -hmm. that I also, you know, found the most fascinating. But I don't seem to have your dark mind because I didn't start (laughs) worrying about how people were going to screw with it. You know, I I didn't, that didn't occur to me uh, at the time. So I wasn't as obsessed with risk, I guess, as uh, as you are. Yeah, I was fascinated about sort of the the things that are hidden, the the idea that there could be, I don't know, the, you know, the, the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain, someone, someone messing around and 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 diverting the true intention of these things. There were so, you, you know, I was in when I was in college is when I kind of got interested in studying these types of things, and there and there really wasn't much there. What was there were things like there had been some experiments with um, a bit before Bitcoin, kids. Mm. Um, <laughs> so what what was on there was David Chom uh, did a lot of research into. I think it was called DigiCash. Uh, so these yep. sort of different experiments with digital money. And uh, and so the, the idea behind something like a digital currency or digital money is it needs to be able to be accepted widely, which is why every <laughs> everything that is introduced has to compete with credit cards because credit cards are accepted in a lot of places. They do that uh, well. So, in order and in order to get acceptance, a lot of these new uh, attempts at currency had to fight through what was essentially folks who were trying to game the system or defraud the system. So that is that that was as close as I could find to folks who were thinking about things like security was more on the um, on the research side. So, I mean, talk to me about how your your perception back then of what risk meant in this context has evolved to to the way you think about that now. Sure. I think in in those times I thought of risk as well first I thought of it as this very vague thing um, which yeah. I still do it still feels sometimes risk feels very vague but um, I guess I thought of it as misconfigurations or that could be exploited or 
or bugs that could be exploited. And, and that, I, you know, that sort of basic thing, like something is set up wrong and then someone can and abuse it. And as I was studying it, I was thinking, okay, this is really more like a system dynamics problem. The dynamics are set up in such a way that, that, um, that something that something could be abused versus broken into. So right. when I started, it was more black and white. Like this is this is vulnerable or at risk and this is not. And then as, as I started to get a little more deeper into, for example, um, how fraud manifests or, uh, or uh, espionage, <laughs> industrial espionage or those types of crazy things, um, that it was really, it was about not the underlying technology system, but the overlying sort of social and uh, economic influences that that really were what would bring in different types of risk. So I guess maybe an example of that in that <laughs> a little more concrete example is kind of the interdependence risk that exists in different types of critical infrastructure, which was something I got to see very close up when I was working in payments because all of the different entities that make up the payment system from the consumers to their banks who are called issuers and folks who are selling things, merchants and their banks who are called acquirers and the, the, the card networks, whether it's credit cards or the regional debit networks or the ACH networks or what have you, how all of those things are interconnected and they bring risk upon each other, that meant that risk started to get a lot more sophisticated. And now's a good time to explain a little bit that when I started on started out my career and it was more pure IT security, more infosec. Mm -hmm. And it was it was technical. You know, I was writing um, ACLs or rules for firewalls and intrusion detection systems. And I was doing IR and incident management and that kind of thing. And I mentioned I hadn't really loved technology, but I got drawn in. And I mentioned I was exposed to technology at a young age. That's because my dad worked in technology. And I remember a very specific conversation someone had with me. They said, oh, you know, you're you're so much like your dad. Are you going to do what he does when you grow up? And I said, no way, because I hate computers and I hate statistics. So you can say hell no. That's okay, too. <laughs> okay. I, it, was, it, was a, it was a no. It was a hell no. I don't like computers and I don't like statistics. I like math, but I didn't like statistics. Yeah, and, that's a fair um, feeling. So at, this, at a certain point in my career, I was like, okay, I'll give them the technology is okay. I'm working in technology. That's fine. But no statistics. And as I got deeper into risk... Uh, it turns out that uh, technical risk, the way that it's practiced in different types of risk, like credit risk or fraud risk or what have you, it's all statistics. It's unavoidable. So, <laughs> yep. So I kind of, um, even though I had pretty staunchly tried to defend my mind from statistics, I then had to uh, do a sort of a combo of, of st studying up again and and learning on the job. And by the way, learning statistics on the job is really painful. So if you have the opportunity to take a class, yeah, do it and, and pay attention because it comes back <laughs> so yeah. many times. I, I, for, as a former research scientist, I can say even still the, the stats class were painful, but they were the most valuable classes I ever took by right. far. Yeah. Yes, totally. So that kind of brought me a little, I just feel like that sort of brought me a full circle. And then, you know, from a, from a child, I was like, ah, oh, heck no. And then, you know, cause when I was a kid, I did say heck, Courtney. Um, 
<laughs> and to now it's like, okay, I'm going to draw on whatever resources are available for me to figure out how to quantify and make sense of all of these connections and interdependencies and flows of things. And, and yes, there's still the, the idea that, that something is, is broken or fixed. It yeah. is configured correctly or incorrectly. Hmm. is still a big deal, but um, the, the systems that I work with, payments, social systems, um, online platforms, they're so big, you must be able to um, aggregate them and try and uh, look at them at a macro level as well as that sort of more micro under the hood level. Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's, it strikes me as two things that I've seen in the industry, you know, coming in as, as somebody who is not, you know, a, a practitioner in security, you know, I'm, I come in as an editor. So I like to look, I, I look at the landscape, I try to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a couple of things really struck me early on, which was that, So, you know, I was a a research scientist, psychology, neuroscience. I've always been interested in how people think and cognitive systems. And I was really surprised by how much people still perceive security as a purely technical problem. I I was really shocked by that. Like, I think I came in with my own biases, obviously, about how I think I would approach it. Um, But but it does still seem to be a prevailing attitude. I mean, do you think that is the case? Well, I, th- mm, I, I, I do, I do, and I don't. I think that most people understand that every system will be gamed. Right. So that's the name of the paper. I, I absolutely love. All systems will be gamed. Um, and, but I think folks understand that that's true. I, I, I do think that so much of our lives are tied up in software right now that we kind of see what's in front of us. And so mm-hmm. if what's in front of us, what's all around us, we engage with as the technology, then it seems like the problems that are posed to us by the technology require technical solutions. Yeah. Um, if we think of if we think of the problem as being an interaction between me and you, then we would... N- probably realize that uh, it's it's a it's a human solution versus a sort of a technical solve that's going to be needed in those issues and I think a lot of people come at this based on the work that they have to do and what's on their right. plate and what's in front of them and sometimes the way that they're given the problem kind of makes them think about it in those terms like if what you're given is this this software is broken then you assume that the the solve that you need to put in place is a software or technical solution. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think it's, I mean, I think it is that sense that we can solve everything with technology, but we forget that technology is made by people, right? So there, there is no such thing as, as human True. agnostic technology, right? <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, I do think some of the work in in the bu- the bug bounty programs and that kind of crowdsourcing of finding vulnerabilities is really interesting because those are technical problems, but we're harnessing people in a different way to solve that problem. So the idea that there are alternative solutions out there, I think, is something that folks are very receptive to. It's just that, like, again, when you sort of look at what right, what's right in front of you, what's all around you, that there's so many layers of technology between, you know, us and each other in some cases that 
or us, us and our customers or us and our service providers or us and whoever that um, it's hard to see through all of that technology to what those alternatives might be. Um, that said, I think that folks who are in IT or and in IT security, certainly they are sold technical solutions um, because yes. those are solutions that that theoretically should scale, you know, um, and when you are, when you are put in charge of managing a really large system, you have to have solutions that can scale. And so, of course, we're looking for technology and automation to, to, so that, so that the technology can parse out and deal with the things that are technology-based and leave the human brains and the human brain power to solving the problems that are, um, that require more cognitive capabilities, right? So yeah, there, that's a whole other podcast right there. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have a lot of opinions about automation, um, but that's another day. Because I want to get to the other thing that I noticed when I first started digging around um, and that drew me to you, ultimately. Um, like a moth mm, to the flame. Do sell. Yes, which was... Um, Everybody sure likes to talk about the breakers and the hackers and all the media attention and all the conference and everything really celebrates um, the people who s- you like to screw shit up, right? Like, right. and I was, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised by that. This is human nature and, and it's, and, and what's exciting and draws people. But, but, you know, I've been working in this, in technology now in this, as you know, in this field for a long time. And I know underneath all of that are these people who are actually doing the work all day long, right? That, that, that the folks actually doing the work to defend their organizations, data, people are not, we're not getting much um, stage time, like for lack of a better, you know, term. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I wanted to do something about that. I mean, we wanted to do something about that. And that's kind of where O'Reilly started looking around and thinking, you know, this is an underserved group. Security is so unbelievably critical now. It's becoming a boardroom conversation, you know, yada, yada. But the the folks doing the defensive work are really getting a short shrift. And, um, you know, you clearly have some opinions about this. <laughs> <laughs> true, um, true. And and so I want to talk about, you know, obviously, we don't have to dive into the fact that there's that it is an adversarial world in, in, in security. But I want to talk about the defenders. I mean, this is a, a, a massive group of people working in the industry. Um, and, uh, it, you know, don't I feel like have the, the attention and, and the resources that they deserve. So that's sure. my soapbox, but talk to me about that from your perspective. Okay, so uh, yeah, I've, I've been, I have thought about this a lot from a couple of different angles. So one thing that I noticed early on in my career is that there's this, I don't know if it's a conflation or just an association of defense and secrets. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, uh, so I once did an audit of a service provider and I wanted to know what services were, what other services were running on a system that was hosting something that we, we needed. And um, so I, of course, there were other things I wanted to know too, but that is an example of what, what I was trying to, to get from the service provider and I sent them a questionnaire. Today, these questionnaires are normal. We talk about supply chain risk. Service providers understand that they're going to be audited. But at that time, what I got was I got a phone call at my desk from someone who was extremely angry, wanted to know why I thought that it was any of my business, how the system was configured. And hmm. and it's it's, you know, I think we throw a lot 
into that bucket of security by obscurity, but it is a true and real thing that's kind of embedded in our culture that how we do defense is in itself something that is sort of valuable and needs to be protected. Yeah. And so, State you know, I, secrets. Yeah, and I've I've it's it's sort of funny. It's like, "Oh, okay, well state secrets need to be secret, but 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 how secret does how the system that keeps the secrets how that works? How secret does that need to be?" And I think that there's 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 Still, and you know, maybe I, I'm, I can think of valid reasons why you wouldn't necessarily want to show all of your cards as a defender. But but that culture means that the, a couple things. One is companies are less interested in having their defenders go out and explain how they do what they do. And there, are, I, I think there are a lot of cases where it would be perfectly safe and perfectly fine and help everyone. If some yes. folks who've figured out how to do things can share what they've learned, that's one thing. Another thing is that on the on the defense side, the folks who are doing the defense, um, they don't have anything to sell. So they're not necessarily motivated yeah. to go out and shout about what they're doing. There's also the whole, you know, if you do walk out and say, I, I know what I'm doing as a defender, you're basically painting a bullseye on your own back and right. you know the kind of obvious um there was a an unbreakable campaign a few years ago that a company did and that was uh that was unpopular and and unwise to to say that you're sort of perfect um and that yes. you you can't be broken into um so i i think that what i am hoping that we can look to as a as a defense co- community defender community of defenders rather since there's a defense industry already um <laughs> as a community of defenders as an industry of of defend defending professionals we can kind of look to what's happening in something like devops where sharing tips and tricks and techniques and not exactly peer review that kind of has a connotation too but just this kind of yeah hey you know let's bounce some ideas off of each other and do this better i think that's kind of the spirit that runs through the 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 defender side of the house yeah. um the defenders don't usually have anything splashy to share you know there's no there's no sort of defense version of an o day cuz the defense version of an o day is hey guys i you know, poured a big, uh, I poured a bunch of concrete in the pool out back and I put all, I ripped out all of the network cards of all of my computers and jammed them in there. Try and hack that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a no day, I guess. Is a no the, day. A no day. So but we I, don't really have anything that's kind of like big splash. What we have are people who um, are diligent and they're working hard and they have things to share. And so I think that that explains a little bit about why um, defenders kind of have have by choice or by design kind of sort of stood in the shadows as opposed yeah. to stepped up. And there there are quite a few folks who um, are on the on the sort of defense side who have who have stepped up and who are speaking about their experience about um, resolving issues across you know entire layers of our sort of infrastructure and such. So those are great examples, and I'm yeah. looking forward to more. And I'm looking forward to fostering more discussion and healthy debate, and ultimately having all of us build. 
build something better for ourselves yeah. and our customers and for the world, for the for children, the for so, everyone. Oh, the children. But no, I want to get into the details of the conference in a second. But I, you know, you said a couple of things that really, you know, struck home with me because I got sucked into this through a different conference I've been running for a few years now um, called Velocity, which is, mm-hmm. you know, is about sort of, you know, high scale front end performance stuff, but also it's sort of the the DevOps origin story, right? Um, and, and what I felt like I've been seeing with folks in security feels a lot like where the ops people were like 10 years ago. And that's not to be an insult to security. I don't mean that from like a technical or a competency perspective. I just mean that from a sort of um, self-perception, <laughs> you know, and self-worth perspective. Because for ops people, there was a similarity, which was your work was hidden until the site went down. You know, so then the shit yes. hits the fan and then, hey, there you are and everyone's paying attention to you and um, all eyes are on, how, you know, how well you can resolve that situation. But all the other work, when things work, it's hidden. And that was the curse of the ops people um, up until, you know, sort of when Jesse Robbins and, and Steve Souders, you know, decided to get together and do this back in the day and sort of, you know, pulled the veil back. Um, and in that time, you know, DevOps has come out, but ops has become the secret sauce of of how some of these massive sites work. And and I'm waiting for that aha moment, you know, for the defenders. It happens at Velocity. You know, you say we can, there's nothing to show off, but like the, the same thing was said about ops people. And then John Allspot, who's, you know, the, one of my co-chairs for Velocity, and Phil Hammond uh, got up when they were working at Flickr, which were Yahoo, and they got acquired. And they got up there and they described how they release software like nine times a day. And the whole audience, like all the jaws hit the floor. Right. And people were like, that is not freaking possible. Like the, the, <laughs> your you people are crazy. Um, and the next year, someone from Amazon got up and was like, that's adorable. We release like 900 times a day. And all of a sudden, you know, and then you watched, obviously, it's not like those guys precipitated this because there's a whole, you know, because cloud, all these other things started happening. But that was this watershed moment, I think, where not only did some people show this amazing stuff they'd been doing behind the scenes that nobody had heard about, but it also brought it into the light. You know, it brought the work of operations people into the daylight. Um, and I, I believe those moments are, are there to be grasped for defensive security people. Definitely. And I definitely think that there are some takeaways that uh, and lessons learned that, that security can take from DevOps and, and how they approach their work. But I think that there is something important to remember that uh, I've seen sort of seen comments about lately, which is things like DevOps and security, they, they scale up. So we've, we've got a lot of large companies that are sort of doing things very well, but it's way harder to scale these things down. So, uh, and, and not everyone is a developer. So I think that that's kind of important and PCI DSS for whatever you, (laughs) whatever anyone thinks about that as a compliance program, what it, what it did do is it kind of forced awareness or compliance to something security related from everywhere from the largest big box retailer all the way down to, you know, some pretty small entities. And so I think that that's the real test is that can these things done? Can we achieve some sort of baseline of 
good performance across the board, whether it's DevOps or whether it's whether it's ops or it's something like security, can those things be done um, when you don't have a staff of engineers mm-hmm. who are focused on solving these problems and when the core competency of your business is not software development? So yes. so that to me that's kind of the where we're where we're really tested is that we have folks from, you know, we have healthcare. Um, <laughs> we have mm-hmm. utility companies. We have retail minor concerns, minor minor concerns. Of, yeah, yeah, and a lot of the companies that are in that space or or organizations, because don't get me started on nonprofits. But we have a <laughs> lot of entities in that space who are who are large and sophisticated, but. There's also just tons and tons of folks who, you know, they're doing what they were built to do and they weren't necessarily built to do ops. They weren't necessarily built to keep a platform up 24-7. They weren't necessarily built to be bulletproof, right? So what do we do for those folks? How can we help them? So that's where all these technical disciplines are, are challenged in that there's one thing when you hire the best in the world and you scale up a system. It's another when you have someone who IT is one-tenth of what they're expected to do on a daily basis. So, yeah. No, I agree. And, and, and the reality is, you know, for companies that can't do the devops stuff and the big-scale Netflix and Google stuff, that, that's not going to harm people, <laughs> right? So, like, if you can't do that stuff, okay, you're not doing that stuff. But the security is still that bottom line piece for the across any of those organizations it doesn't matter um, right so yeah i take your right. point there totally all right so let's talk about this crazy conference we're doing um, sure in response to this which i'm super excited about yeah um, yeah it's gonna be in new york city new york I'm new york city so exciting in in november um actually mm-hmm. it's gonna start around halloween which is yeah. gonna be even i've never been in new york for halloween i have been in san francisco for halloween many times which is a very different experience i'm sure as you know <laughs> um but uh well there's two things in particular i'm really excited about for for the conference that we're putting together the o'reilly security conference and i mean there's lots of things but there's two in particular that i'm really excited about one is the program committee that we have helping us put this event together i think it's a really diverse and um, unique combination of sort of skill sets and perspectives from the industry so uh, that's that's one part and the other is the the tracks that we're putting together specifically for the conference i think they're very different from what you'll see at most conferences especially because of the focus on defense so I, I mean, I know what I like, but from from your perspective, maybe you could talk a little bit about what you think is going to make the O'Reilly Security Conference something unique for defenders. Well, I think the fact that it's focusing on defense is definitely a, a differentiator. I mean, I guess for the most part, conferences in the security space try and bring together kind of a mix of, of what's new and hot in understanding um, threats and vulnerabilities and tools and techniques. And in that way, this conference is the same. But what makes it different is that it's focused on defense. And another thing that makes it different is that it's not really about new research per se. It's more about things that can be applied, things that can be helpful. So folks who are, you know, who have a, a new paper that that's 
peer-reviewed and going to through academic circles, um, we would be interested in those topics, but only if there's a takeaway that is really going to help someone improve the defenses of the system that they're trying to protect. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it's important to underscore that we're not saying, you know, uh, hackers and researchers, um, you know, stay away. We don't want you. I don't, that's not the point. Um, but the Definitely point is, not. We're all brothers and sisters, and we we're all needed in order to make sort of the ecosystem work. We we have to understand how offensive techniques manifest in order to put the right defenses in. And so there's a, a lot of great researchers out there who are doing really critical work. But I think what we just the discussion that we're trying to foster at this event is more about okay, now that now that we have the benefit of that understanding. Now, what do we do? Now, what do we do about it? That's right. the, the sort of very uh, actionable piece of it. What can we what can we use to improve our defenses? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And, uh, you know, I feel like it's it's a it's also a gathering place for the tribe, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's a place where everybody can all be together knowing that's going to be the focus. Um, and I think there's something really, really powerful in that, too. Agreed. Let's talk about our awesome program committee, because I swoon sometimes. I, I, I get swoony <laughs> with these people. Like I feel like we've hit the jackpot. Um, yes, so I I agree. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't be happier. I'm in the sense that you know we don't have every single awesome person in the world on the committee that but might, yeah that might be a little hard to do yeah that would be that would be hard they wouldn't all fit no. it, but what we what we do have we have some of the best and brightest covering all kinds of different aspects of defense so um it's there's it's not like there's a sort of a uh, one profile. Each person kind of has an individual profile and brings uh, a really unique perspective to the table to sort of help shape the committee. Yeah, and absolutely. the and the program. Um, and you know, we we were talking about this you and I you know the other day. But I mean, I, the one thing I want to underscore is I hope people. It's funny that I have to say this, but I hope people aren't intimidated. <laughs> You know, by that, because um, because we're kind of a big deal. Oh, but. totally. Um, but what I've been shocked by um, meeting these people is um, how genuinely, you know, sort of kind and dedicated to this, and open-minded, and you know, it, it's just a really, I, I mean, it's an incredibly diverse and um, compassionate group of people, which I think is, that's not to say that there aren't, that doesn't exist elsewhere. I just think we've, um, we've worked really hard to pull together a group of people that's going to make that an event where, um, where it's pragmatic and positive, I think is the other piece of it that's really tricky, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of ironic to say that we're going to be positive about security, um, because that's, that's not the general uh, nature of that of that world, but I don't think it's impossible to take a positive attitude towards tackling some of those problems. Right. Well, I think just like, just like any startup, you know, this event is kind of a startup. So just like every startup, you, you try and find the best folks out there, but it is also really important to make sure you build a team that has good chemistry, kind of that alchemy, the combination of skills and sort of the the kind of mini culture that you want to create because that's going to infuse the event. Um, so I, I I feel good too about everyone who who is 
taking some time to review proposals and help us out in, in build this inaugural event. Yes, a huge thank you to them for that. And and you mentioned mini culture, but um, the last thing I want to I want to close with uh, is this funny little thing that started happening uh, in Slack with us. But when we started sort of talking about how amazing these people were, and I don't want to get all like crazy back padding or whatnot, but this sort of running joke started happening about what people's superpowers are. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's sort of joking, but I feel like Again, you know, when you go back to the origin myth, we do all seem to have that shared sort of nerd culture. Most of us have grown up, grew up with and have our own personal obsessions with various whatever stories or characters, you know, what pick your, you know, thing. But but it's also fun, again, like it's the idea that 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 success and security is hidden and, and we're just toiling away. And we do, as every person has their own sort of secret superpowers. Um, and there, some of them are very bizarre. Um, <laughs> but... But I, well, that's know. what happens when you force people to answer the question, <laughs> what is your superpower? <laughs> so I'm going to force you to answer it now. I want you to, what's your superpower, Allie? Oh, man. I can't, well, I can't believe I have to pick just one. Whoa, um, yes, but okay. yes, yeah, so my secret, my superpower is not, a, not so much a secret. It won't be I, a secret anymore. Right. So I picked Shadow Whisperer. So that... Um, and essentially, I think that that's true. I kind of, I look at the in-between places, things happening in the shadows, and try and um, pull out patterns, understand risks, and then design systems that uh, work better, understanding that those shadows are there. Um, so that's said, so it's sort of a, a, you know, everyone everyone has something that something unique that they bring to the table. And I think that my background in risk and economics is kind of my thing. And that's how that how is how it manifests in system management and design. One one member of our team of extraordinary def- our league of extraordinary defenders. <laughs> All right, I'll wrap it up with that. Thank you so much for joining me. And I am so, so excited about what we're going to do with this. Thanks, Courtney. I was super happy to, to, to get this discussion kicked off. It's going to be great. Thanks. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Courtney Nash and Allison is at Selena Kyle. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn or SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. <laughs>